Steve, happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. As we lie for two weeks in a row and it's Friday. <laughs> yeah, it's summertime, man. There's just like crap going on nonstop. So we got to be a yeah. little bit more proactive on these things and make sure we get them done. I actually ended up putting that last one. We recorded it Friday and it originally it was planned on scheduling it for Monday, but I just put it out Friday. So I thought it was a good oh. kickoff to the holiday weekend. So we truly had a Friday minute, but this one we will schedule for Monday. So hope you guys had a good weekend. Um Definitely going to obviously dive into some listener questions here. And once again, we have an awesome list of stuff to tackle um, that I'm excited about getting through over the coming weeks and months leading to hunting season. So thank you guys for sending those in. Um, and you can always add to that list or send us your question or idea to podcast at xamountgear.com. Uh, but before we dive into those, just a couple like timely things kicking off as it's now June. Uh, and Steve, you and I were literally going over calendars trying to find any free time between now and essentially opening day, which is hard to do. But if you guys are looking for something to do this summer, there's two things going on. We want to tell you about, uh, number one, the Northwest mountain challenge, uh, archery shoot is happening. Um, I'll give the dates and locations really quick. And then Steve, you can fill in some, uh, background context for people who don't know what that is, but in Tamarack, Idaho, it'll be June 18th to 20th. And then in Great Divide, Montana, it's going to be shortly thereafter, July 2nd through 4th. So a three-day shoot this year um, in Idaho and Montana. Unfortunately, with COVID world and everything else going on, what is normally happening in Oregon and Washington as part of the Northwest Mountain Challenge is not going to happen this summer. But we will include links to the, the Northwest Mountain Challenge website. So you can go get those show dates, um, locations, tickets, lodging, all that info. But uh, again, Steve, this goes like way back in time, but a brief (laughs) story on what the heck is the Northwest Mountain Challenge? Uh, Yeah, I was, I started it in 2012. Um, Basically, I used to do a lot of 3D shoots and was just disappointed with, you know, they weren't challenging enough. They were more family friendly, right? Close shots, very easy walking. And I wanted to do something like I had bought a 3D target and I was going up in the mountains and shooting at steep angles and doing stuff like that. And I was like, man, there needs to be a shoot built around this. And kind of, uh, I, I guess going the, as I was having those thoughts, the bowcast at the bird, which is now, um, what the heck is total archery challenge that evolved into that. Um, I'd gone and done that shoot and I was like at the same time emailing, um, the bogus basin ski resort out of Boise trying to like, it took a couple years for them to finally agree to let me come up there and do the shoot. And then I needed a help with it. So I reached out to uh, dead on archery, which is an archery shop in Boise and TJ, the owner um, basically agreed to partner with me and we did it, did it up there for a few years. And then Tyler Crockett, who good friend of mine, um, who's on that pure elevation production side, um, he kind of took it over and he, he and TJ still run it. I have nothing to do with it anymore basically just got too busy with XO and SNS archery. I just didn't have the time to commit to it. And those guys have been running it up at uh, Tamarack now. I don't know what this is. Year six, year seven. Uh, Tamarack's a beautiful ski resort, two hours north of Boise. And um, it's just a fun, really fun time. We're challenging courses, different events. There's live music Friday nights. Um, just a, yeah, uh, just a blast. If you got the weekend free, go do it. Um, and then, yeah, normally for the last five years or so, it's, there's been one at Hoodoo in Oregon and Stevens Pass for Ski Resort in Washington. Both those states, a uh, little different 
policies than Idaho have, have like kept it shut down. So they can't do the events, which is crazy. Um, but then uh, we're able to mo- add Montana this year. Um, so Tyler Boschman, one of our other great friends, obviously had him on here a bunch. He's kind of running that one over there. Uh, so you got the cho- choice between Idaho or uh, Montana, great divide or, or both. Uh, yeah. Highly recommend. I'll be, uh, Yes, it's like starting uh, next week. It's like back to back to back trips, but uh, one of them's yeah. I'll be up there Wednesday, and I still set up the pure elevation course. So go up there and um, throw some three D targets on the pack, and end up uh, hiking quite a few miles packing those targets out. Some you know some of them are a mile from the nearest kind of place I can get a vehicle. It's a good workout, good training for hunting season. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll be up there with Exo Booth um, at Tamarack, and I don't think we'll have a presence up at montana just kind of lack of um timing or bad timing i guess but yeah yeah we'll we'll drop that link uh to the northwest mountain challenge website in the show notes if you guys uh, again want to go get all the info uh check out dates pricing details all that that'll be there and then the other thing which is actually starting this week but going essentially throughout the summer is the full draw film tour um many of you are familiar with that i'm sure but it is running a essentially across the country, uh, literally from the Northwest to the Northeast, from North Dakota down to Texas and a whole bunch of places in between. So um, they're going a little bit of everywhere. Always a fun time with like films in that live environment with a bunch of other hunters, a bunch of giveaways. Um, There will be an exo pack on display at each of those stops. Um, So yeah, if you guys have not done that, uh, definitely would recommend it. And obviously if you have been to one, you know what a fun night that is. So once again, a link to their site in the description for this um, episode, and then you can head on over there. It's just fulldrawfilmtour.com and see all the dates because chances are there's somewhere coming pretty close to you. So go check that out. Uh, on to questions. So Steve, we actually had, uh, uh, several questions that related to packs that aren't like pack specific per se, but the first one is a little bit pack centric. Um, and so this guy wrote in and said, I have the K3 3,200 pack system and I've used it quite a bit for three to four day pack in hunts. What are your thoughts on trying to squeeze a couple extra days of food in the load shelf area? If I want to do a five to seven day hunt with the K3 3200. Um, so just for context, if guys are unaware, the 3200 is one of our pack systems that we generally say is good for up to three to four days. And then typically beyond that, you're going to want to move up to a larger pack size, like our K3 4800, if you're trying to do a five to seven day trip. But because our pack systems have a load shelf between the bag and the frame, this guy is basically asking can I just extend the, the capacity of the pack by using the load shelf for food or gear on a longer hunt? Um, so start super open-ended. What are the pros and cons to doing that, Steve? Um, the, the con, I guess, would be just overstuffing your pack to the point that it's hard to access things. I had this happen on the the sheep hunt last year in alaska i had a prototype bag that was i don't think i actually measured it but i was guessing about 3400 and i was trying to load it up for seven seven nights eight days out there in the field and i got everything in there it was so stinking full that you like you know you open up a zipper and stuff would just come shooting out (laughs) like a a jack-in-the-box or whatever (laughs) um so 
uh, you know, that's the downside, right? Like it was as my, as I, on that trip, as I ate food by the end of the trip, I had all sorts of extra room, but you know, eight days of food is basically what I had, um, takes up a lot of freaking space. It's just, it just does. And I was really, uh, I knew it was going to be tight and I took all my food, you know, I think I was 37 or 3,800 calories per day. I was, knew it was going to be, it's a little bit more than I normally pack, but I knew it was going to be a physical hunt and I'd put them in gallon Ziploc bags and, and really took, you know, a few extra minutes putting each bag together so that they formed really nice flat kind of rectangular cubes. Right. Uh, and then I was able to literally just stack them in there as about as efficient as you could pack it. Um, but yeah, by the end of the trip, uh, when you got two days of food left in there, it's, it really dwindles down. You got all sorts of extra capacity. So, um, as far as putting, you know, the, the meat or the food in between the, the bag and the frame, totally fine. Um, I would just, just, you know, I'd get as much food as you can in the bag. And then, yeah, I would kind of do that same thing of, of get the food kind of folded nice and flat. Um, if you've got a good way to do that would be put all your, you know, whatever dehydrated meals you're using. Some of them come in packaging where there's not a lot of air inside and they, they lay nice and flat. Um, like Heather's choice does a really good job of that. In my opinion of, uh, it just doesn't take up a lot of space. So I just lay those flat against the shelf and then, uh, you know, you need them in some type of, um, you know, some type of waterproof dry bag, something light, still nylon, um, lay them flat there and then sandwich the bag. And as soon as you can transition away from that, do it, uh, to where you can just get everything in the bag and not have to basically have the bag detached from the frame. So, mm-hmm. um, if you're in a, and I'd say, especially if you're just going to go in and set up a base camp and then dump your food, I have no, you know, no issue with doing that at all. I'd just, yeah. Um, cause it's, you know, you just gotta do that for four or five miles. It'd be just like packing out meat. Um, not a big deal. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. I, I do encourage guys to like, you know, I always want you to buy the bag for the trip that you're doing, um, you know, versus having to deal with overstuffing the crap out of your bag to make a, a trip you know, kind of squeak out more days out of your bag. I think it's just, you have a better experience, but I'm also totally guilty of, um, you know, I'm always trying to save every ounce I can. And that's why I run a, our 3,200. And, um, uh, so sometimes, yeah, that sucker is full for the first few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, and then, yeah, the really, as we've always talked about the difference between a three day trip and a six day trip is food. Like I'm not packing maybe one extra pair of socks, uh, everything else stays the exact same and it's just food that adds up. And obviously as, as the trip goes on, that food goes away and, and then you start having more capacity inside the bag. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's the, and you, you covered it is the biggest consideration for this type of question for me is like, what is the style of your hunt? Are you moving with camp on your back every day? And you're constantly yeah. essentially for several days, having that load shelf with gear or food in it, or are you doing, as you mentioned, Steve, like if you're packing in, four or five, six miles, setting up a base camp and dropping a bunch of stuff, then you're really only doing that for that initial hike. in. that's no big deal at all. Um, so to me, that's where that situation comes into play. It's an yeah. interesting question because it's coming from a completely different perspective than I would say most of the questions we get. Cause most of the pack questions we get are, why shouldn't I just get the biggest freaking bag possible and then make it smaller, <laughs> you know? Um, right. so right. this is like flipping that on its head. And I thought it was helpful to discuss. And honestly, a lot of guys just overlook that that is an option to use a load shelf for food and gear. We're not saying everyone should do it. It's definitely possible to do it. And again, especially in 
a situation where you're setting up like a backcountry based camp, it, it makes more sense there. So cool. And I'd be one video I've always wanted to do was you'd be surprised the guys that buy a 4,800 and I fill that up every, every trip. You'd be surprised with just a little bit more thought how much you can compress and pack a pack. Like it, I think you could, I've always said, I want to do the video or have a 4,800 and it appears to be completely full, dump all the stuff out and then go and throw it in a 3,200 and see that it, it still all fits. Um, it'd be kind of a fun video to do, to show the guys that you can get away with a smaller bag, uh, than you think you need or yeah. Steve, you just created work for yourself, man. We were, we were <laughs> yeah. just talking about videos. We were shooting right. and having a hard time finding when to do it. So add another to the list. That'd be a cool video. Yeah. We'll make it happen. All right. So, um, another one came up super timely, not because we want to talk about packs, but because it has to do with shooting and practicing in a realistic scenario before season, which is hopefully something that we're doing here over the next couple months. So this guy wrote in and said, I've been shooting with my bow while wearing my pack as I practice for a total archery challenge shoot in the upcoming elk season. Um, today when shooting with my pack, I noticed that more times than not, I seem to be missing slightly off to the left. I'm curious, do you think it was just me and my shooting today, or do you think it could have been related to the pack? Um, I actually, so this guy wrote this email into me and then I said, Hey, I'd love to hear what you find out if you go shoot another day and let me know if that's consistent. So if you go shoot, you know, tomorrow with your pack, same setup, are you still hitting left? And I'll tell you what he said, but first Steve, if a guy is shooting with the pack, number one, do you have any specific tips to, for him? And number two, if he feels like his accuracy has degraded or his impact point has moved or he's just not comfortable shooting his bow with a pack on like let's just kind of from a high level hit some things to think through there yeah so in general well yeah the your bow is not going to change point of impact because you're wearing a pack what most likely happens one of two or both things is he may not have a, a proper grip set up that it, so he can easily induce torque into the riser um, and, or two, if he had the harness kind of so tight to his chest that I could definitely see that like, maybe he couldn't quite, you know, his anchor point and stuff was changing and he wasn't just lining up the peep site with the site housing properly. Right. And it's super easy to do, uh, if you're not paying attention to it. So between one of those or both, you know, that's why he was shooting left that day. Um, but also uh, anyone who's shot a bunch knows that like for some reason, there's just days like all my arrows are like left of center. And then the next day, all my arrows are right of center uh, or low or high. Um, it's it, it just, there's different, like uh, the biggest factor is typically lighting, um, shooting into the sun, shooting the sun with your back, uh, sun directly side, like how your line, how it appears that you're lining up your site housing with your peep site just can change a little bit. You know, like indoor shooters see this a lot. Um, cause the, the different lighting and how it affects it. So that is usually what's going on. Um, as far as tips, I, I would just suggest, you know, I'd suggest this all the time with, with your normal backpacking weight. So 20 to 40 pounds, um, you don't need the harness or the load lifters, really anything tight, you know, get the hip belt snug. Um, that light of a weight is absolutely just going to sit on the hips and you really don't need to transfer any weight to the shoulders. So just have that nice and loose. Um, and the only time I'll 
snug those up as if I, if I get in more technical terrain, right. Going up and down logs or climbing up, you know, kind of rocky faces, things like that, where you really don't, you don't want the pack kind of throwing off your balance at all. But other than that, the, the harness is, is very loose. I could take my hand and run it, you know, all the way between my, my chest and my shoulder and, and the harness, um, with, you know, and have very little friction on that. You covered it. Well, everything I wanted to hit, you know, in terms of, uh, it, it if it's you in the bow, it's probably grip or anchor point. Um, lighting is a fantastic point. And then just making sure that that pack doesn't have so much tension that it's limiting your mobility or comfort in any way. Um, I did, as I mentioned, ask this guy to like, Hey, let me know what happens next time you go shoot with the pack. And he wrote in is like, shot with pack today. Felt great. Everything was dead on. So he's like, basically it was me that day, which is <laughs> right, honestly, right. when I first got the email, I'm like, it's probably just an off day. Like exactly what you said, it's probably conditions or just you or something in the pack happened to be a coincidence more than a cause, um, which it sounds like it was in this case. But again, if you have things uh, adjusted improperly, too tight, limiting your mobility, the pack certainly could affect your shooting, uh, but ultimately it shouldn't in any way. But that's why it's helpful to get out there and do that. Um, get the pack on, bino harness if you run it, like all those different things. We talk about it, people talk about it, but not enough of us actually do it and the summer's the time to do it and get it figured out. So get happening. Yeah, definitely get your pack on. I mean, if you want to be dialed in and ready for September bow season, get your pack on, grab a 3d target, go up to the mountains and practice, go camping with your family, drag your 3d target along. Like those, those conditions are so different than, um, than at the range, just sighting in or in your backyard, you know, on a nice flat ground. Um, you're just going to, you're going to learn a lot and be better prepared for, for hunting season. All right. We're not trying to beat the, beat the pack dead horse, but again, this is so timely because we just got questions on training weight for a pack, um, and what to use. So this guy wrote and said, is it better to use sandbags or weight plates for training hikes with my pack? Should you load that weight in the bag or use the load shelf directly on the frame? Um, yeah. So hit that Steve and I'll fill in any gaps. Um, I just mix it up. I, I'm not a big fan of weight plates. Uh, just, you know, they're very hard and going to just, if you strap it right to the frame, you can basically got your titanium frame and we have two layers of Cordura in there and then a weight on the backside of it should be okay. But it's also like you throw that in the back of your truck and go drive 45 minutes on a bumpy road. Um, that's all, you know, it's a lot of weight sitting on, on between you know, basically rubbing on two pieces of Cordura. So I would not a fan of that. Um, but throwing sandbags on there is kind of my main go-to. Uh, I have, I have one pack right now that, uh, I, it's an 1800. I put an old sleeping bag in there and I have a dumbbell set in the garage and I've been able to, uh, it's super easy for me to take 10 pounds out or add 10 pounds or whatever. Um, and kind of use that sleeping bag to, keep everything distributed nice in there right versus if you just threw like three dumbbells in they're just gonna all slide to the bottom of the pack uh, so that's been working good and then as far as um one, one of my favorite training things to do is is load up the bag basically with all of my gear so say it's you know i got 30 pounds of backpacking gear in there and then throw i've got a 50 um i've got a bunch of sandbags the one i use the most is 58 pounds so i'll, I'll do that and basically have like a 90 pound pack, uh, that I'll hike. And I recommend, um, whatever, you know, whatever you think your max is train for that at least one day a week. Um, so if, if you're like, I'm, you know, 
75 uh, pounds is it or no i'm gonna man this up and do 110 pounds you know i'm gonna one trip an elk out um then be, train for it <laughs> like yeah, you're gonna uh you're gonna learn a lot and your and your body's gonna be able to be much more kind of adapted to packing that heavy weight out so i would never you know don't just train with 50 pounds all the time and expect to throw 110 out and 110 pounds on and, and hike out with you know no issues so um definitely train but the, the heavyweight's hard on the body so for me i i bounce around you know roughly 50 pounds seems to be like it's enough weight uh 50 pounds and some hills uh is enough weight to to um get a good workout in get the get the heart rate up you know be a little bit sore the next day um and uh and but also not kind of beat down the body um I've, i'm full on like prototyping future designs right now. And, and, uh, at least once a week I'm doing the heavy hikes, uh, just kind of doing comparison hikes and heavy by like a hundred plus pounds. And, um, yeah, they're just hard on the body. The knees hurt the next day and, uh, all those good things. So lighter weight. And then, um, when I do lighter weights, say 50 and under, I like to do just lunges, um, just kind of do calisthenic type moves, right. Um, just to really kind of work out the extremes of the muscles, or if, and that's just on like nice gradual trails. Um, if, if you can do 50 pounds or 40 pounds and get on like really steep, uneven terrain, if you have access to that, um, basically like just completely replicating what you'd be doing when you're hunting, you're really going to have a tough time beating that as far as, uh, training hikes. Yeah. If it comes to weights, um, if you're not using a sandbag or, you know, water softener or something like that, which is obviously easy and cheap to grab at uh, a home store. If you're using weights, you mentioned Steve, like, especially just those cast weights, whether that's dumbbells, whether that's weight plates, like Olympic plates. Um, the biggest issues we've seen haven't been from the weight it's from abrasion. And so those cast plates or those cast dumbbells, if they're not cleanly cast and they have burrs or sharp edges just over time, again, like you said, Steve, it's in the back of your truck. That's going to just, those sharp edges create wear and abrasion. So that's the only thing that I'd recommend against for sure on weights. Um, and sand just tends to help. The other thing I like about sand or something similar is it's more, it's more applicable to like loading a pack with meat um, mm -hmm. most of the time, right? Like, so yeah. you can, you can go, Oh, if I kind of shape it this way or position it this way or try this um, you just get a better feel for things. Um, so that's why I recommend it for sure. But yeah, good stuff. If you, if you guys are newer to the podcast or, you know, maybe you've heard this episode years ago, but want to go back to it. One of the podcasts that I really liked and that we also got a ton of good feedback on is just called how to hike heavy. Um, and we interviewed a guy who's done research with the military and on their wrecking programs. And he lays out protocols, uh, basically helping you understand a lot of what you're mentioning, Steve, of when to hike truly heavy, when to have moderate weight, when to go lighter weight with higher intensity or for longer duration. And so if you think about hiking and preseason training, it all shouldn't look the same. It shouldn't be, you know, 50 pounds for an hour, three days a week for two or three months. Like you should go lighter in weight, but faster in intensity. Uh, you should go heavier in weight and maybe short duration, but higher elevation. And so there's all these different things you can scale in terms of duration, intensity, and weight. 
And that podcast really breaks that down well. So I don't know the episode number off the top of my head, but going back to last week, if you head to our new podcast archive on that on the website and search how to hike heavy, I know it'll come right up. So again, that's just xomontgear.com forward slash podcast, or there'll be a link to that in the show description as well. Um, tying this all together. So we've talked about preseason training and shooting and hiking and all that. Uh, a guy wrote in, and this is especially helpful for preseason warm weather training uh, about feet issues and blisters and things like that. And it's honestly something that I've never worked with or tried and seemed like a great recommendation to share. So I'll share this from him. He says, in my hunt for boots, I had a lot of issues with blisters and I blamed the boots. I have since learned that my real problem was that I just had very sweaty feet. For me, the solution was using a foot antiperspirant. It changed my life and all of my blisters are gone. In all the podcasts I've listened to, and that's a lot, he says, I've never heard anyone mention this as a possible solution. And then he says the one that he used is called Carpe Antiperspirant Foot Lotion. Uh, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well on Amazon if you guys want to check that out. But um, an interesting topic for sure. I mean, we've talked plenty about boots, sock choices, even managing moisture and warm weather with your socks and changing your socks and all that. Um, I know guys have used powders and things like that. I've never honestly used a foot antiperspirant. So interesting feedback here. If you're doing a bunch of warm weather training, have sweaty feet, struggle with, you know, blisters or real soft skin hotspots, maybe worth a shot. Yeah. It's super, I've never thought about it. Um, we talked about it prior to the starting recording. I went in my, probably I was like a teenager and then probably my early twenties, I used to just sweat out my armpits a lot. And I used to wear or I had this stuff and I don't remember the life for the life of me, what the name of it was, but yeah, just something. it was antiperspirant, but it like, if I remember right, it kind of closed the size of your pores. So you couldn't sweat as much. And, um, I've got sweaty feet too. I've never, ever thought about like using something like that on the feet, but I imagine it, it works pretty well. Yeah. That'd be, it'd be interesting to try and hear from folks. I'll have to try it myself. Um, yeah, cool guys. That's a wrap for today. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Once again, if you have any questions for us, you can just email podcast at exomountaingear.com. Uh, and again, if you're looking for previous episodes of the podcast, uh, whether that be Monday Minute or future episodes, we've got that new podcast archive at exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast, where you can see all previous episodes. You can search uh, by keywords, look by category, things like that. So check that out if you haven't already. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.